You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And welcome to Lake Kickers Live. It is Sunday night, November 14th, year of our Lord, 2021, jam-packed. I have no clue how many minutes nay hours we may go tonight we got a jam-packed show though we're going to try and fit it in in a responsible amount of time we are high atop downtown nashville tennessee we got to talk about what kansas did to texas yesterday we got to talk about what samford almost did to florida uh, we've got about what 14 games we need to touch on auburn figured out a way to lead a game 28 to 3 and trail it 43 to 28 in the same afternoon we've got some news out of auburn actually bo nicks just in the last hour uh, this has finally been confirmed ankle injury gonna miss the south carolina game gonna miss the iron bowl don't know how long he's gonna be out uh, we'll talk about that in just a little while jimmy lake head coach at washington no longer looks like he's out and so that's a big west coast job opening that's a big name in defensive circles that's all of a sudden going to be available for hire if he so chooses so we've got a lot to get into and stuff as it usually is breaking even on a sunday night um also Boy, what a day yesterday at Baylor. Storm the field there at Baylor. We're going to talk about the Oklahoma-Baylor game, obviously, in much greater detail coming up. Like I said, got about 14 games that we need to hit on. But as we do so often on Sunday night, we've also got to lead our show with talking about what happened yesterday and then what's coming up this next week. So let me just give you a little indication. As you guys were steadily blowing up the DMs and some of you who had the iJosh number, you were texting me yesterday, we were on the field yesterday at Baylor for that storm of, um, well, that's an entire sea of the student section came down, but I was down there and I saw some of you who are well past graduation who also made your way onto the field. I'm all for it. You do what you want to do. But it was a great time there at Baylor yesterday. We have not been on the field yet this season for a field storming. If you'll remember, the last time I was in Texas, I had an opportunity to go down to Texas A&M if I so chose when they were playing Alabama, second to last time I was in Texas, and I declined. So I was in the air watching the field get stormed. Yesterday, we were on the field watching the field get stormed. And so the Renaissance Tour took us to Waco yesterday, and that was a great time. And I'm going to talk a lot more about that both later in the show tonight and on the Tuesday morning Late Kick Extra podcast. But that's not what we lead the show with. What we lead the show with is telling you where we're headed this next week. And so already, before I even got back on the ground last night, a lot of people were lobbying. There was some Montana versus Montana State energy, and don't laugh at that. I've been looking at that for several weeks. We had to end up crossing it off the list, because believe it or not, uh, not many Bozeman to Nashville or Missoula to Nashville direct flights. But um, we looked at it, and I think it's going to be a great environment up there. So what do we have in the running this week? Well, we've, of course, got Michigan State, Ohio State. And we've got a game out in Salt Lake City between Oregon and Utah. These were the two finalists. And I have not been west of essentially Dallas all year. And a lot of people scream bias because of that. And I retort, no, it's not bias. I've just got to have a logistical and illogical way and reason to go out west. It's got to be the big game. It's got to fit all of our parameters. So without further ado, Colin, let's show the people where we're going this week. Because I showed you our two finalists. But I got to tell you, it's really hard to ignore this big game up the road from us in Columbus, Ohio. We are headed to Ohio State. They are hosting Michigan State. This is a monumentally huge game in the Big Ten. It is a monumentally huge game in the college football playoff rankings. Michigan State, total do or die mode. But Ohio State's the same way, guys. Some people are remembering Ohio State as different than what they are. They're a team with no margin for error. They've got a loss already. Not in the Big Ten, mind you, but they've got a loss already. And here's the other thing. I was trying to rack my brain, and this is the most stunning thing that's ever come out of, mm, actually, for today, for the last 24 hours, the most stunning thing to ever come out of my mouth. I've never seen Ohio State play a football game in person. I had no clue that was a reality. I've been doing this for quite a while, and I've never seen Ohio State in person. And I went back and I traced my steps, and like the last four times I would have been at an Ohio State game, something has come up. So we've got to rectify that. So we're going to Ohio State this Saturday. We're looking forward to that. Got a lot of our friends there in the Columbus market. And I know good and well you guys are listening. I expect to be on air with you at some point this week. And I'm not going to cough and say Dave Biddle's name, but I'm going to cough. 
Biddle and say his name among several of you. We're looking forward to that Renaissance tour in week 12 now. We've gotten a great reception on the road, and I'm going to talk a lot more about where we were yesterday coming up. Where do you begin this show tonight? If you were doing late kick with fill in the blank and put your name on the blank, where would you lead off? To me, I was going to lead off with the game we were at. Then I was going to lead off with Florida struggling, and we're about to talk about both of those, but that's not what we're leading off with. Kansas beat Texas in a football game last night. 57-56 to 56 was the final score. This was pretty surreal for everyone watching. I guarantee you it was surreal if you were there, but it was really surreal for me as well. And here's the way I experienced this. Each of you have your own story about where you were when you saw this happen. Well, here's where I was when I saw this happen. I'm driving into Love Field there in Dallas, and this game's starting. So we've got the first quarter underway, and Kansas has taken an early lead. Then I'm in the terminal, and I'm watching the first half play out. And Kansas has got, oh, that's a bigger lead now. And then I'm in the air, and halftime and third quarter is starting. And I'm thinking Texas is going to mount a major comeback here. I would have loved to have gotten some of that Texas second half energy. I don't know what the line even was. Wi-Fi was spotty at 40,000 feet. And then, whereas I watched the beginning of this game happen as I'm pulling into the airport, I watched the ending of it happen in my apartment in Nashville. Side note, this was a pretty long game. And there it is. Kansas has a shot to go for two. They do it. They execute to possibly one of the most unlikely of targets and Kansas wins in Austin. And I know a lot of you may think, oh, at that point, you know, convert, don't convert. It's been ugly either way. Oh, it matters. It very much matters if you convert versus don't convert. Well, Kansas did. And so now forevermore, that young man's gonna have the surrender cobra if you're watching on YouTube, plastered all over the internet of himself. Fame's fame, buddy, own it. Uh, but also, Sark's got to wear that necklace. He's got to wear that around his neck. I lost to Kansas. Now, that's not always the end-all, be-all. Nick Saban lost to La Monroe. Every coach uses that. That's the bad part. Every coach now in their first season, when they lose a bad game, they say, well, Nick lost to Louisiana Monroe. Yes, Nick Saban lost to Louisiana Monroe. Why don't you go off and rattle half a dozen championships off like he did after that? Bo Davis told us. Bo Davis told us exactly what was in that Texas locker room. And for that matter... We played the video for you last week. Bo Davis told us exactly what was wrong with Texas. And in the words of Pole Assassin, proof. Actually, I'm holding a piece of paper, but all you needed to do was watch the game yesterday. As she would say, proof. There's your proof. Bo Davis was right. Bo Davis vindicated. I'm not sure Bo Davis feels a lot better about what he saw yesterday. But I want to read you a list. And I want you to tell me what these teams have in common. Here goes the list. UTEP, Texas Tech. Texas San Antonio, Baylor, Houston, Texas A&M, Southern Methodist. What you think? Anyone? No one? No one. Well, those are all the FBS teams in Texas that are currently bowl eligible. And the Texas Longhorns, not on the list. Texas is now four and six. They are going to fight to make a bowl game. And I don't know that the odds are in their favor right now. But the lesson from yesterday which we talked a lot about with a couple of teams leading into this weekend, and it turned out to be apropos on both fronts, is if a team checks out, there is no safety net. The thinking sometimes, even if a team has lost its way, or worst case scenario, you think a team has quit, which we only talk about uh, very, very rarely. But even if you think a team has quit, if it's as talented as Texas, or it's as talented as Florida, you always think, yeah, but I mean, there's only a certain level of bad they can be. What I'm trying to tell you is if you've got a team that's not executing the right way, or, you know, they just had some bad luck with the bounces of the ball, or they got turnover issues, no, those teams have a safety net under them. Those teams aren't going to lose to Kansas either way. Those teams aren't going to trail Samford at the half either way. But if your team has checked out on you, it does not matter. It quite literally does not matter how many stars were next to anyone's name. It's not a team anymore. That's the whole point. You've got to go play a team game on a Saturday and you just have individuals. Literally, not the figurative way a lot of times you say it. Literal, you don't have a team. And yesterday, Texas really didn't have a team. That's no knock on Kansas. All credit in the world to Kansas, but they're two and eight right now. Uh, and they've gotten boat raced by the likes of Duke this year. This was not some, some once in a generation, really scrappy, good Kansas team. This is a bad, bad football team that Texas lost to because Texas is a really bad, bad football team right now. So here are my biggest questions 
because it doesn't really do a whole lot of good to mine through the box score and you know try and rehash all this. My biggest questions, I got four of them about the future of Texas. Number one, if Sark did lose this team, did he lose it for the right reasons? Because if you go back to the reference I made about Nick Saban in year one, Nick Saban lost some of that team. It was for the right reasons, though. It was the beginning of the weeding out process. First question is, if Sark lost the team, was it for the right reasons? Second question, is this coaching staff capable of leading the turnaround? Pretty much everyone can look and to some degree can understand what the main overarching issues are here. It's a whole different thing to take those issues, take the problems, take the what, and then assignate the why, and then lay out the plan and then execute the plan to fix it. That remains to be seen. Now, even I'm in the remains to be seen camp with that. Uh, the third thing, to go back to Bo Davis in a lot less colorful language than he used, but to ask the same question, is how quickly can they overturn the roster? How quickly using a combination of recruiting and then the transfer portal, and that door swings both ways, how quickly and how big a chunk over the course of one year can they uh, overturn on that roster? And the fourth thing, which really is hard to answer right now, is do they have a culture problem? And if the answer is yes, what does that mean? What does it mean to have a culture problem? That's kind of like when some kid does something wrong and you ask, how did this kid do this? And someone goes, oh, well, you know, with social media and everything, everybody says that about everything. Every, every problem now is, well, you know, with social media, what about it? Give me a specific, Colin, I'm pretty sure I just spiked your audio, sorry. What about social media? What about the culture at Texas is the problem? You gotta give me specifics. That's like saying, what do you drive? A car? What kind of car? What year? What make? What model? What kind of tires you got on that thing? I wanna know what the specific culture problems are. And is it just a matter of maybe some bad apples in the roster? Cause if it is, that's not the worst news in the world relative to what the alternative could be. The alternative could be you have much deeper rooted issues and those take a whole lot longer than just some transfer portal exodus and entries and one recruiting class to solve. But the Sark hot seat talk, you know, as much as that sounds critical, the whole Sark hot seat talk today, you gotta miss me with that. That's a no-go for me. If you wanna tell me, and you need to have the uh, receipts to back it up, but if you wanna tell me you always thought he was the wrong hire, and so you're just being validated, and now you're really sure he's the wrong hire, I'll listen to you. Even if I don't agree with you, I'll listen to you if you tell me that. But you cannot have endorsed the move when he was hired and now flip on him. What, eight months into the job? That's just not realistic. That's not the way this works. But remember the metaphor we used last week, because I'm probably going to use it a couple of times this week. This is football. They don't give you years off. You have got to be skilled enough to be out over the open sea and to fix the issues with the ship. You don't always get to take it into port. They're going to make you play another game and another game and another game. And you know what also they're going to expect you to do? Fix the problem. And so you got to fix it right out there on the open sea. And some captains can do it better than others. And Steve Sarkeesian, it, to, to me, it's the biggest question here. It, is that the right guy for the job? I'm not telling you no. I'm not telling you yes. I'm giving you the same reaction I had when he was hired. I think it's an interesting hire. It's if I ran Texas, I don't know that it's the move I would have made, but I didn't hate it either. I was totally indifferent on it, um, and I'm still indifferent on it. That's what I'm telling you. Uh, but I did not you know, flip my opinion last night. There is, not, there is not a point of no return in year one for me with Steve Sarkeesian, and that includes losing to Kansas. So there you go. I'm going to talk about something else in, what, two segments, Colin? Yeah. But I do want to let you in on a little secret. So yesterday we were obviously at Baylor. And they beat Oklahoma. Big win for the Bears. I got a lot to say about it coming up. Um, some behind-the-scenes stuff that I think is really interesting for more than just Baylor fans. But while we were on the field there, they stormed it. And you can feel it coming. And so I had in my back pocket what I told you I was going to bring to town. And that is an envelope full of Academy gift cards from our friends at Academy Sports and Outdoors. And so while some people were running around screaming their head off, while some people were looking for anything to grab as a souvenir, almost got my book back. While some people were looking to take selfies, once in a lifetime opportunity, your boy was handing out Academy gift cards right there on the 30 yard line. I handed out, I don't know how many Academy gift cards, but some of you ran into me at the most unlikely of moments. And I told you, our friends from Academy, they got your back. And sure enough, they did. And I don't know that you expected 
to formulate a transaction between you and I, including an Academy gift card on the 30 yard line there on Saturday afternoon. But hey, that's the way it happens on the Renaissance tour. You got to have your head on a swivel and you got to have the merch in your pocket ready to go. Look, that's just one of the many ways that they take care of us here. And so Academy Sports and Outdoors, you know what I want to tell you. I want to tell you, visit them. I want to tell you, I got an email from someone in Michigan last night and I opened it today and they were telling me exactly this. I don't have an academy in my town, but academy.com made all that irrelevant. And so if you don't have one in your town, then academy.com makes all that irrelevant. I'm having to make some very, very shrewd purchases on academy.com even as we speak because of an event that I almost forgot was happening today. And so that's me. It's good enough for me. It's plenty good enough for you. Our friends at Academy Sports and Outdoors always love to have them on board. So thankful they are our primary and only partner. And it's that way for a reason because they take care of us. They take care of you. You take care of them, therefore taking care of us. And it's just kind of one big happy family that way. So Academy Sports and Outdoors for all your tailgating and really just needs in general. Okay, uh, well, boy, oh boy. I don't know how exactly I want to talk about this, but we have to talk about it. Uh, Florida, the good news, I guess, is they scored 70 yesterday. Uh, the bad news is Samford scored 52. Now, Dan Mullen would lead you to believe that's not bad. Dan Mullen was propagating one of the big lies in college football in the postgame yesterday. So certain people in your life, I'm thinking of a couple in my life, certain people in your life, you know how when you were growing up or maybe even right now, everybody has that one or two folks in your life that you would never accept from what you would let your friends get away with. You and your friends, you have this code, you have this line of joking and ribbing that you will accept from one another. But if an outsider came in and said the exact same thing to you, you'd cut them off mid-sentence. You just won't take it. There's some people who are so annoying, or there's some people whose sense of humor sucks so bad that you want nothing to do with to the point where you would not accept out of their mouth what you would accept out of your friends' mouths. That's kind of the way Florida folks are feeling towards Dan Mullen right now. And for that matter, it's the way a lot of people are feeling towards Dan Mullen. When Dan Mullen's winning, some of his weirdness, some of his idiosyncrasies and some of the things he says and some of his actions, they're kind of funny. You kind of laugh at him and you say, well, I guess you can get away with that when you're doing what he's doing. But the problem is if you're not doing that whole winning thing, then it just is lame. And so yesterday, Dan Mullen in Florida beat Samford 70 to 52. They trailed at the half 42 to 35. It was all kinds of record setting for Samford, not Stanford for those unfamiliar, Sam Ford. And so after the game, the big lie I'm talking about is Dan Mullen got asked, I dare a reporter down there, a, a reporter dared to ask Dan Mullen about the disappointing first half that Florida had again as they trailed Samford 42 to 35 in the swamp. And Dan Mullen said that that's disrespectful. That's disrespectful to winning, to phrase it like that. And he even went as far as to invoke a Trent Krim reference. For those of you who have not seen Ted Lasso, it's lame. It was a lame reference. And I actually watched Ted Lasso, and I don't watch hardly anything new except Yellowstone, which I'll be doing as soon as I get home tonight. But I watched Ted Lasso. And Trent Krim's one of my favorite characters, Trent Krim, the independent. And basically what Dan Mullen was trying to do was he was trying to be funny. And it really wasn't because the situation didn't call for it. And he was trying to flex on the fact that he has a little cultural acknowledgement of certain things that exist outside of football, uh, to which your typical Florida fan on the message board would say, maybe you need to be watching less Ted Lasso and you need to be coaching more. That's what you need to be doing. I don't know that they're wrong, actually, when they say that. Here's what Dan Mullen did. Dan Mullen propagated the big lie, at least one of them. One of the big lies in college football is a win is a win. That is not true. In pro football, it is. In college football, a win is not a win. I can assure you what Baylor did against Oklahoma yesterday has a whole lot more value and meaning than what Florida did against Samford. And I can assure you because of the, not gap, but gulf between the haves and the have-nots or the haves and the haves-lesses in this sport, you've got certain standards you have to meet in order to achieve satisfaction amongst your fan base, even if you win. Florida obviously did not meet that yesterday, but Dan Mullen didn't want to acknowledge that. Now that's all well and good because of the next thing. Uh, Dan Mullen's not gonna be the coach at Florida in 2022. So all of this is going to be a moot point. This has turned pretty quickly. I think it's turned in the last month. Told you last week, 
Dan Mullen's not getting his team back. When, when they're gone, they're gone. And the only difference between Florida in 2021 and Florida in 2020 is this team, when it quit on Dan Mullen, still had a month's worth of football left to play, whereas the team last year quit before the bowl game, so at least that was the finish line. You don't get teams back. Once they walk out the door, they're gone. There is no re-entry. Dan Mullen's not going to be the coach at Florida next year. I have very little doubt about that. I have not spoken to anyone who I consider semi-informed on the matter today that thought otherwise. Everyone thinks it's a matter of when at this point, not if. But the two things that I refuse to hear from anyone who does push back on this is, number one, it's not time, because it is. That's a side note. The two things I refuse to hear are, well, you know, he's got that buyout, $12 million, got that buyout. I was standing on the field in Waco, Texas yesterday, and they awarded a family who had given $100 million to the university. Not 1000 not even $1 million, $100 million. And I had stats and info crunch the numbers. And that is one, two, three, four, five. That is eight zeros. Florida's haggling over what? Some people are concerned over what? $12 million. If you want to flex that SEC muscle, flex it when it's time. Don't flex it when Georgia wins a Sugar Bowl and you just chant SEC along with everyone else. No, when it's time to flex the SEC muscle, it's when you may need to get off that back pocket, that hip pocket where that wallet's supposed to be, and maybe you need to pay a couple extra dollars to rectify a situation that is past needing to be rectified. First thing I won't hear is Florida can't afford it. The second thing I will not hear is the market is too crowded. Because I had someone come at me with this yesterday. Well, it's not the best of times for Florida to be looking for a new coach. I asked why. They said, well, you know, LSU is already open and USC is already open. And I reiterate, this is Florida. This is not Florida A&M, it is Florida. No, no offense to the Rattlers, but you get what I'm saying. Sometimes I think people outside of Gainesville think more highly of the status and stature of this program than some people inside the bubble. There's this weird inferiority complex, at least amongst some of the Gator folks I talk to, that they don't measure up. Just because you're not measuring up on the field right now, that's totally isolated and separate from what the right pool of candidates thinks you would be capable of if they led your program. And so I'm not going to listen to anyone tell me Florida can't afford it. I'm not, certainly not going to listen to anyone say, uh, give me a little more time, it's not time yet. And I'm not going to listen to anyone tell me, well, Florida, the University of, can't be competitive in the open market. Are you kidding me? If you feel that way and you are a decision maker, if you're a decision maker at Florida and you feel the market being too crowded is a deterrent and you can't hang and your job is not of elite caliber, you need to get out of the way and let other people make decisions. And for that matter, if you're undecided, if you're undecided right now and you're looking at these upcoming games, Missouri and Florida State, and you're saying, well, let's let the outcomes there decide this. You also need to get out of the way. If anyone around Florida is looking at these last two games and saying, I don't know yet whether Mullen's still our guy, but I'll tell you what, I'll know after a game in Columbia, Missouri, or I'll know after a game against Florida State. You don't have a proper perspective on how this stuff works, and you need to get out of the way and let someone who has a lot more grip on rationale make the decision. There is nothing you're going to learn over the next two weeks you don't already know about Dan Mullen. Now, if you want to tell me I've seen enough, he's still my guy, we'll just agree to disagree. But if you look at me and you say, I don't know about it yet, next eight quarters of football will tell the tale. After however many years, next eight quarters of football will tell the tale where a bounce of a ball or a boink off the upright could change a win to a loss or a loss to a win. You don't need to see anymore. And so those are some of the things that I got pushback on yesterday that I just dismiss wholesale. Can't afford it, crowded market. Well, let's let him finish the season, then we'll make a decision. You can let him finish the season. But your decision should long since have been made by this point. Because I can't see this continuing into 2022. Can't see it. Uh, sample size is plenty big enough. If Dan Mullen shows up at SEC Media Days next summer, the fans will go crazy. That's true. The problem is it's the fans in Athens and Tallahassee and Baton Rouge, and you get the point there. So it is time. It is past time. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's go on to a much more happier subject. Please, please, I just want to smile. That's all anyone wants to do around here. I'll tell you on a related note, man, it'd be nice if it was below 80 degrees in the studio. Colin, can you imagine a day where we have a functioning air conditioner in here? Sometimes we ask for too much. Uh, Baylor 27, Oklahoma 14, the Renaissance Tour strikes gold yet again. I mean, I was on the field yesterday, and about the last six minutes, you could tell, obviously, Baylor's about to win this thing. And then I'm looking behind me to the student section, and obviously, they're about to come on the field. Neither was a great mystery as the clock wound down to zero. And so I pulled the eye Josh out, and I shot the footage that you're looking at right now. And the bad part is they stormed it, then they had to be pushed off the field because there were a couple seconds left, and then they stormed it again all under the bright sunshine of Waco, Texas, because friends, again, if you ever find someone who loves you as much as I love the noon Eastern 11 a.m. kickoff, you will be at a great spot in life. All this just looks better under God's light instead of the artificial stuff. Night games, sometimes we gotta go to them, but you give me this all afternoon. Hey, this was a great scene. And these folks were charged up. They were ready. It was like last week's loss against TCU had never happened. And every single soul in that stadium, it felt like, poured out onto the field. Also, I'm going to talk about this a lot more on the Tuesday morning Late Kick Extra podcast. Best press box meal ever. Ever. Chicken and waffle sammies with dippable syrup, by the way. And then at halftime, if that wasn't good enough, a popcorn chicken spread with a hash brown spread. Oh, I gotta stop, because my mouth's watering. It was great. Everything was great yesterday. It's right on I-35. I did not even have so much as hit my brakes coming in there or going out. It was great. So I highly endorse games at Baylor. I had a great time right there on the river. Beautiful setting. So I'm gonna talk a lot more about the experience Tuesday, but I had a strong reaction to Baylor and in particular Dave Aranda yesterday. And I think for the Oklahoma side of things, there are There are some bad things to be taken away. I think there's one ray of sunshine here. And so let's dive into it because, man, this was just a beating at the hands of Baylor. And it was also a game where they shot themselves in the foot. I mean, they left opportunities and points on the field early and still ended up pulling away in the game. So hats off sincerely to Dave Aranda and his staff. Listen to these numbers. And keep in mind, as I read this, Oklahoma is off a bye. You're saying the same thing that you said about Alabama last week, and that is, hey, we're going to get the best version of them. Whatever it is, we're going to get the best. Well, Oklahoma ran 53 total plays yesterday, 260 total yards, two of nine on third down, sacked five times, nine tackles for loss, 28 rushes, 78 yards. That's about 2.8 per clip. And meanwhile, Gary Bohannon, quarterback over there for Baylor, who was uh, very outspoken after the game and played very well during the game, said we knew we needed to be the more violent team. So that was the takeaway from the TCU game last week. I needed to be a more violent player. That's your quarterback, by the way. And said we needed to be a more violent team. And they were. They were, they were just physically more imposing than Oklahoma was. Recruiting rankings would beg to differ. Recruiting rankings would tell you that's not the way that's supposed to play out. But yet Baylor begged to differ as well. Look, you need to take note of something here. And I want you to think about the full context. Baylor folks, I want you to close your ears for just a second. All right, Uh, there is a job market out there that Dave Aranda's name should have major traction in. You guys can come back to the table now. I want you to know this about Baylor. They lost to TCU last week. A lot of you watched that, but now I want you to keep in mind what we've seen elsewhere in the country and what we see every November. We see every November teams that have lofty goals and aspirations, they lose a critical game, and then the rest of their season goes in the tank. And it's because of a factor that happens it has a domino effect, and then it impacts the rest of their season adversely. Well, Baylor lost a game and then responded with the best football that they've played all year. So how do you do that? 
Well, it's leadership, but it's that C word. It's culture. But Dave Aranda postgame did not give you some flippant, blank, or kind, of a, kind of a canned response when asked about that. Dave Aranda postgame had some of the best stuff you'll hear out of a head coach all year. He was asked about that loss last week against TCU and then how they responded so well this week against Oklahoma. And he said, well, it aggravated me a little bit that it mattered. And I know that kind of goes over a lot of people's heads. And Dave Aranda, he's not very illustrated, kind of monotone. And so when he talks, he doesn't reach through the screen and grab you. But what he's saying is really profound there. And it's the key to any successful organization. He said, it almost aggravates me. And it's something we got to focus on that it mattered, that we had to lose in order to get this kind of response. And what he was also doing was looking ahead to the Kansas State game and saying, okay, well, if we got this response, but it was predicated on losing last week, well, then what does winning a big game mean about our future? That's a guy who understands standard. And it's a guy who understands the same thing a Nick Saban understands or a Kirby Smart understands. They understand that long-term success, instead of celebrating one week and then getting knocked off the next week, it's about all that external stuff not mattering. But that goes against conventional wisdom because conventional wisdom tells you you need to either get humiliated or disrespected in order to get your best. You know, it's just like when I go to the gym. I refuse to listen to music in the gym. I don't ever have headphones on because I don't believe that you need an external source to pull maximum effort out of you. You don't need it. If it's pulling it out of you, it was already there to begin with. Well, Dave Aranda, in a much more football sense, is telling you, why do you need to lose? in order to pull this kind of effort out of you. And his players probably don't feel like that man to man because they're 18 or 19 years old. But that's a guy who's already got a lifetime of experience under his belt. But I was, to be honest with you, really impacted by being around him this weekend. Because I have not been around Dave Aranda. I've watched him from afar, but we had some time with him this weekend. I was really impacted by him. And I think that guy is gonna be a star for a long time as a head coach. I think he's only starting to ascend. I think he got some things from an offensive perspective and from a operational and management perspective figured out just this last year. And I think he's going to rapidly ascend. So if you got a job opening out there, if I had one at Pate State, that guy would be among the first folks I would call. There is a cerebral nature about him and there's a perspective on success and there's a perspective on organization and mentality that he not only professes, but grasps the ability to instill in a roster that I don't think most coaches that you're going to hear more about do. So that's my endorsement for Dave Aranda. Oklahoma, coming out of the bye. Boy, expected a lot more. Didn't get it from Oklahoma. Baylor had a lot to do with that, obviously. And again, it was the same thing as Bama last week. You expect one thing. You expect best effort. You expect maximum. Uh, that's why I thought Oklahoma would win, the, would win the game, and you just never got it. And so what have we talked about? There have been three teams that you and I have talked about this year a lot. OU, Bama, Ohio State, and those are rosters with pretty elite top-end potential. It was a, it's been a question of when are they going to peak? Which one of them or ones of them will peak? And when they do, what's it going to look like? I don't know that we're going to get it from Oklahoma. Maybe we won't get it from Bama. Got it from Ohio State yesterday. Maybe we're going to go one for three on that. But there is a silver lining here. So I got some good with the bad. I mean, the silver lining to, to mention Alabama is I remember that 2019 Bama team. They ended up not going to the playoff for the first time. They went to the Citrus Bowl. It was a good team. They were one year away from being the best version of Bama I think Nick Saban has had. But they weren't quite there yet. And it's felt a lot like Oklahoma this year, to be frank. Just, you got the pieces, they're not quite there yet. So they go to the Citrus Bowl instead of going to a playoff game that they probably would have gotten beaten in. And they beat Michigan in the Citrus Bowl, the Verbo Citrus Bowl. And I was there for that game, and I remember afterwards thinking, this team kind of never tuned out. You got, oh, look, there's, Na there's Najee Harris. He's coming back. There's uh, Devontae Smith. He's coming back. There's uh, Jalen Waddle. He'll be back. They had stars all over the place, and they're all playing. Some of them who were going to the NFL played. Oklahoma may feel a lot like that. Just because they adorned every cover of every preview magazine doesn't mean it's just automatic that they fulfill all of that. Maybe they weren't quite as good as a lot of people thought they were. It's not the first time that's ever happened. What I am saying is falling short of expectation in a given year 
if you view this as a continuum, it can have some positive effects because maybe it puts them in a more advantageous position to end their season on a high note. And you never know what that means for the next year. But they were the second most physical team on the field yesterday. That's what stood out to me the most. They were the second most physical team on the field, and that's not something that should ever be acceptable for Oklahoma in Big 12 play. I mean, that to me is the thing they focus on moving forward. Oh, by the way, before I toss this piece of paper to the side, I'm going to talk about this a lot more Tuesday, but our guy, James Helms, you don't know him yet, but you're about to. When I complained, excuse me, when I told a story that sounded a lot like complaining about my nightmare travel experience to College Station and Austin, uh, the previous week, a lot of you were listening. I had some, I had an American Airlines pilot reach out and offer assistance. I also had James Helms reach out. He's given me the freedom to use his first and last name. Young James runs an enterprise car rental, not at Dallas Love or DFW, but just off campus. And he said, you know what? I'm going to take care of you. There's not a rental car to be found for 500 square miles around this state, but I'm going to take care of you. And James Helms did. So all I'm saying is Wherever the decision makers are out there in the enterprise ecosystem, you got a guy that I am begging and pleading with you to promote or Christmas bonus or whatever you need to do. But James Helms there in Irving, Texas at Enterprise, he shoots right up to our power rating top 10 listener and viewer list because he hooked us up in a big way this week and took care of us when seemingly no one else out there in the rental car ecosystem wanted to. So thank you, James Helms. You were the MVP this week. Let's move on. Georgia beat Tennessee yesterday. Georgia 41, Tennessee 17. I was just talking about Dave Aranda and Baylor. I want you to take a long listen, if you have time, to Dave Aranda. And I want you to listen specifically to what he said about making it not matter. It meaning any external factor. And then I want you to watch the Georgia Bulldogs play. Because Georgia is the personification of what Dave Aranda is talking about. And to explain to you what I mean, this week alone, you had guys having off-field issues, and it didn't matter for Georgia on Saturday. You had guys out with the flu, it didn't matter for Georgia on Saturday. You had a season-ending injury, and it didn't matter for Georgia on Saturday. For that matter, they're in the game on Saturday, down on the road early, and none of it mattered. None of it mattered because the great teams don't make it matter. The great teams just play to a standard every week. The whole nameless, faceless opponent thing. You think it's boring. You think it's coach speak. I'm telling you it's the formula to win a championship. Georgia didn't make any of it matter yesterday. They just went and took care of business. There's some facets they're probably not 100% happy with. I'm telling you inside linebackers probably not one of those facets. But there are some aspects that they can improve on. Any kind of perfectionist is going to find ways to improve. But Georgia ended up taking a game and a spot that a lot of people had circled around here and had said, ooh, I don't know, no one's run tempo, no one's thrown the ball a lot on them. And Tennessee had some success yesterday, but Georgia still won the game 41-17 to in Neyland. That's the takeaway. All of it, all the externals, all the stuff that could knock a lesser team off the rails didn't impact Georgia in any kind of negative way. And by the way, uh, just a few things that stood out to me. I was talking about that inside linebacker core. Kirby Smart could coach at Georgia another 20 years. He may not have an inside linebacker core better than he has right now. N'Kobe Dean and Channing Tendall and Quay Walker, when I look at those guys, the first thing you see is outstanding linebacker play. But also what I think about is the dogfight they had, pun intended, I guess, to land those guys in recruiting. Like I remember N'Kobe Dean Looked like he was going to Bama. He's at Georgia. Quay Walker, I think, may have been committed to Bama at one point. He's at Georgia. Like these, A lot of these guys, you can extend beyond the linebacker core, a lot of these guys, by nature of how good they are, they had high-profile recruitments. You just think about how much of an emphasis they put on recruiting, and then you can go up and down the roster, and you can remember the stories vividly of each of these kids that they ended up landing. It's the key to success. It's the name of the game. You don't have to make it any more or less fancy than that. I feel like everyone's in a holding pattern now because the other big takeaway I had, I was, I was reading slash listening to a lot of what Rusty Manziel over at Dogs 24-7 has said about Stetson Bennett. And the key kind of point that I think a lot of people, Rusty included, had after this game is, hey, it's Stetson Bennett's team. We've talked about it some on this show. He's talking about it. Everyone around Georgia is talking about it. It is Stetson Bennett's team right now, quarterback for Georgia. So what I feel from pretty much everyone now is everyone's in a holding pattern on Georgia football. And it stems from this quarterback situation. 
because no one's changing their mind now. It's kind of like when you're deep into an election season, one week to go. No one's really changing their mind. Everyone's ready to go vote. It's the same way with Georgia at quarterback. You either do or don't think that Stetson Bennett is equipped to win a national championship at Georgia, which to be very clear is the way they will define success or failure this year. And playing against Tennessee, no disrespect, it's not going to change your mind. Playing against Georgia Tech's not going to change your mind. The first opportunity that Georgia's going to have to really change anyone's mind in a discernible way is December 4th in Atlanta against probably Alabama in the SEC championship game. The thing that we were watching a lot this weekend was, is Tennessee going to expose anything, even if they lose, that really indicates there's another team down the road that can capitalize on this particular thing that Tennessee exposed. And then there were some things here and there, but I don't really think there was one glaring issue. And that may mean it's still there and Tennessee didn't find it, or it may mean there's no glaring issue really there. I think the latter would be a lot more fortuitous for Georgia. But I went to Director Collin, who is both my source on the AP poll and Tennessee football, and I said, Collin, I could talk about Tennessee tonight, but I really want to know what you feel. And Director Collins' quote was, I can't wait till next season. Director Collins liked some things that Tennessee was able to do yesterday. It is cause for celebration around the SEC. If you score 17 on Georgia, that's not even a joke. That's just real life in 2021 around here. And um, so Tennessee's had some situations this year where they've played against Ole Miss or the second half against Alabama or some of the first half against Georgia where you look and you say, I like that. I like that. I like that. Now, I need to add this, this, and this, and we'll be a pretty formidable product next year. Went and beat Kentucky. That's a big deal. But Tennessee, I mean, it's on the right track. I don't think anybody's doubting the hire of Josh Heupel right now. In fact, I was doing some radio last week in Knoxville. Question kind of came out of left field. I don't have any reason to believe this is going to happen. I'm just saying the bigger point that I would be focusing on right now is, is Josh Heupel doing such a good job at Tennessee that other people want him? Again, that's not to start a rumor. I haven't heard anything like that. It was just a random question that was thrown out. So suffice it to say, it's been a good first year, all things considered, in Tennessee. Like, think of, think of what they were going through when they hired Josh Heupel. Uh, things could be a whole lot worse, trust me. Uh, let's move down to Oxford, Mississippi. A game we could have been at yesterday, uh, but we chose Waco. I think we made the right choice, but this would have been a good game too. Ole Miss 29, Texas A&M 19. First thing I did when I got home last night, is I grabbed a piece of chalk, Sharpie will have to suffice for the example here, and I found the nearest blackboard, got them all over my apartment, and I took the chalk and I wrote, I will not disrespect the model a thousand times. And then I put the chalk down, put my hands behind my back, Bart Simpson style, and I just stared at that chalkboard. Because as I told you last week, the model had this game as its best bet. Ole Miss, best bet. Rebels, best bet. And what did your boy do? He came on the show right here in front of you and God and everyone, and he said to you, third person now, uh, the model does like Ole Miss, but you know what? As much as I tell you to trust this model, we're going to wad it up, we're going to throw it over our shoulder, and we're going to roll with Texas A&M. And then there I was last night watching Ole Miss only be up 15 somehow, despite having accumulated half a season's worth of offense in the first half. And I just, I felt, number one, shame. But then number two, I felt validation. Because there is one, friends, one poll out there that's had Ole Miss in the top 10 the entire season, top five in a lot of cases, and it's us. It's the JP poll. And we've taken a lot of flack for it. How can you have Ole Miss up here after they lost? How can you have them up here? Well, I'll tell you how. Because they're one of the six or seven best teams in the country right now. And by that, I mean they'd be favored against all but about five or six or seven teams in the country. And we've thought that way about them all, all year. So there's some validation. I'm going to choose to be positive and say the JP poll nailed this. The model nailed this. Uh, the human here did not. But that's why we have the model. So the halftime box score, total and utter violence. I want you to explain to me on what planet is this team only up 15 points? And by this team, I mean the one that has a 408 to 91 total yards advantage. It has a 23 to 5 first down advantage. It has a 58 to 27 plays run advantage. That is a formula for a 42 to nothing blanking in the first half. And yet, because Ole Miss was a total unmitigated disaster in the red zone, they were only up 15 to nothing. 
Ole Miss had 257 yards on the ground yesterday. It's the most rushing yardage that Texas A&M has given up all year. And yet, that really was not the thing that stood out to me the most. The thing that stood out is the thing we talked about all summer. We asked, can Ole Miss play average defense? Well, they are. A little bit better than average, actually. Uh, Ole Miss is a pretty good defensive unit at the moment. A lot of the transfer portal moves they made are paying off, and their defense stepped up last night, and at times it has stepped up all year. Think about the game where they ended up beating Tennessee. We go into that thing you expect a track meet, and what was it, 31-26 to 26 or something like that? They scored 31, still good enough to win. I mean, Ole Miss, they have checked a lot of the boxes. It's just they play a schedule that it's really hard to win every week against. If Ole Miss had a schedule the likes of which Clemson has played or the likes of which, uh, let's say, you know, uh, Oklahoma State has played, they may very well be undefeated right now. But as it is, they are a two-loss, in fact, an eight-and-two right now, team with games against Vandy and Mississippi State left. This could be a 10-win team. And that leads a lot of people to lie in bed awake late at night having sort of a battle, sort of a, an angel and demon, if you will, argument in their mind. If your job's open and Lane Kiffin's doing this, you got football and then you got off the field and you got reputation and you got, I heard that and they told me this. I, I don't, I'm glad I don't have to make the decision, to be honest with you, but I know a lot of people are wrestling with it because what you don't want to do is you don't want to bring a guy in and have him embarrass you. But what you also don't want to do is not hire the guy that ends up embarrassing you because he's beating you. And so a lot of athletic directors, a lot of search committees and search firms out there, they're struggling with that tonight. Uh, they got a shot. I mean, they got a shot at 10 wins. And for that matter, Texas A&M has a shot at nine wins. And you may say, oh, that falls well short of expectation. Thought this was going to be the year. Well, they lost their quarterback and have a shot at nine wins. So let me be clear. That's still a success. It's still very much successful. They've got Prairie View, and then they go to LSU. But the focus right now for Texas A&M is not so much going to be on Prairie View or LSU. Well, it'll be on LSU. Early signing day is where the focus shifts now for Texas A&M because they've got a shot at the number one class in the country. At the very least, they're going to be way up there. And so you've got a nice game here. Or not, not a nice game, but a nice season that you can put a bow on, hopefully, with an emphatic win for, against LSU, and then you go to a nice bowl game. But then you really wrap it up tight when you get that recruiting class on board because that is the domino that everyone around there is waiting to fall right now. And it's going to fall. It's going to fall. It's just we're going to have to wait about a month for it to happen. Uh, some more added takeaways here from Week 11, and then we'll give you our early best bets and get out of here. Some added takeaways from week 11. How about this Auburn-Mississippi State game? I have no clue. You ask me, I have no clue. So the final here is Mississippi State 43, Auburn 34. How? how anyone who watched the game, how? How does Auburn lead a game 28-3 and trail it 43-28 in the same afternoon? I can't make any sense of that. For the record, that is 40 unanswered that Mike Leach and Will Rogers and Mississippi State rattled off. Bo Nix had a good day yesterday. He was 27 of 41. He threw it for 377, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, Bo Nix, the news late this afternoon is ankle injury. He is out for the remainder of the regular season at least. And then it remains to be seen about any kind of bowl game. But he was one-upped by Will Rogers, who goes 44 of 55, 415 yards, six touchdowns, just a crazy second-half comeback, and you're watching it. I went back and watched it this morning, and the whole time, you're knowing the ending, you're asking yourself, how is that ending? How is that final score going to be made possible? And right there in front of you, it happens. Crazy to watch. Mississippi State, probably one of the more underrated coaching jobs and overall teams in America right now is Mississippi State because they're so anonymous, because they're not in the thick of any race, but yet they're playing pretty good football. And I know the playoff committee's had them ranked. I mean, they, we've had them power rated. They're just, they're playing good football. They're in the wrong division. But hats off to Mississippi State. It would have been so easy at 28 to three, it would have been so easy to do what a lot of teams with better resources than you are doing right now. And that's laying down and Mississippi State didn't. Florida State gets off the deck 31 to 28. FSU beats Miami. 
I really felt like the first quarter telegraphed a lot of this thing, and it ended up doing so. Now, Miami made it a game in the end, but when you have three turnovers and eight penalties in the first quarter, that screams two things. Number one, it's going to be a long afternoon for you, but your opposition only scored 10 points off those turnovers, so you still had a shot. But the second thing it screams is you're not ready to play. I think we all know who that falls in the lap of. More on that in a second. But Florida State's defense was huge here. Same theme as we talked about with Ole Miss. They stuffed the run. They held Tyler Van Dyke to, I want to say, 53% completion percentage. And so several facets of this team did what it collectively needed to do to win yesterday. It's so big for recruiting. I know a lot of you aren't paying attention right now because we're not talking about FSU or Miami being in the top five. But in order to eventually get there, you know, it's a progression. And right now, there were some kids in that stadium yesterday that were going to decide between these two teams. And I think that it's pretty clear one is trending in a better direction than the other. That's not just drawing from one result, although the result matters a whole lot. That's why they play the game. And so Mike Norvell and his staff, they got a big win there. They will reap the reward and the benefit from that. I don't know what's going to happen with Manny Diaz. I think they're going to finish the season. I don't feel great about it down there. I don't have any intel on Manny Diaz. I don't feel great about it. I know that before they went on this little mini winning streak of theirs, a lot of people were under the impression, as was I, whether you agree with it or not, that he was given the old win or you're fired ultimatum, the old Herman Boone treatment. I don't know that I feel great about the prospects for Manny Diaz right now, but as of right now, nothing decided at Miami. Uh, what about this Michigan-Penn State game? Producer Jesse, all sorts of frazzled about this, as he should be. Michigan goes into Penn State. They win 21-17. So Penn State, where are we at right now? They opened up 5-0, and and now they've gone 1-4 since then. Meanwhile, Michigan, you're looking at their schedule right now. They are a one-loss team. And the thing that I think as I watched this game was, number one, it's so even. The box score is crazy even. Go look at the box score from this thing. And second thing I'm thinking about Michigan is Jim Harbaugh has to be in heaven right now because this is his kind of team. This is the absolute embodiment of what Jim Harbaugh wants in a football team. He wants hard-nosed. He wants difference makers on defense and at running back. And he wants a team that feels like it's been screwed. And we can check every box with this Michigan team. They got all those personnel pieces, and they feel like the Michigan State game was taken from them by officials. And they may not be wrong about it. But regardless of your opinion on that, that's the identity of this Michigan team right now. And there are a lot of people in Big Ten country that believe that's why this one has the best shot to upend the likes of Ohio State later in the year in a situation where Ohio State has to come to them. And that is pretty sound logic. I follow it. But this was a close game yesterday, 21-17 to the final. I think I'm more interested, ironically, in what the outcome means for Penn State. Like, where, where are they going forward? Uh, because it's just it's such a long season. When you look at it, as we've talked about this a few times, it's so popular for fans to say, boy, the season, you wait for it, and it goes by in the blink of an eye. Well, it really doesn't. These are long seasons. How long ago does it feel that Penn State was beating Wisconsin, and then they beat Auburn, and then they beat Indiana, and then they, well, they lost to Iowa close. Like, these things feel like a year ago to me, and they are all from this season. So Michigan wins, and they are moving ever closer. They're keeping themselves firmly in contention in that playoff picture, and they're moving ever closer to one of the more consequential the games in a long time. What about Ohio State? Speaking of the other participant in that game, Ohio State 59, Purdue 31. I had surprising pushback last week. I mean, really suspicious was the pushback I had when I told you I thought this game was going to be a blowout. I understood why you thought there was potentially an upset brewing. You just watched Purdue beat Michigan State. And you had just watched Ohio State struggle but win against Nebraska. And a basic understanding of how this sport works was what I used, also with the model's help, to forecast a blowout here. We didn't even spend much time breaking down the game last week. That's how confident we were that this was going to be a blowout. In fact, I think I predicted the exact halftime score, which I don't claim to be a skill, uh, but we did get lucky with that one. There was a rubber banding effect. A, a progression regression to the mean, if you will. But the thing about it is that factor is on steroids when you have an ultra-talented team. I told you last week, 
One of the reasons I love a blowout here is the progression regression factor, but the other was CJ Stroud got trashed. I helped him out last week publicly. So did this offensive line. Let me tell you what they did yesterday. Stroud was 31 of 38 with six touchdowns. Excuse me, just five touchdowns. Not quite half a dozen. Uh, threw for 361. How about the running game for Ohio State? How about uh, 31 runs, 263 yards? That's about 8.5 per clip. Is that good enough? I think it was good enough. Uh, it was surgical, pretty surgical in their precision yesterday. They've got Michigan State at the Horseshoe Saturday. We will be in attendance on the sideline for that game. First time ever. Cannot believe that's a reality. First time I have ever been to an Ohio State game. Some other games that stood out yesterday. Uh, Oklahoma State, I think, is one of the more anonymous high-level teams that we've had in the sport in several years. I dare you to tell me you've watched more than one Oklahoma State game, unless you're a Cowboy fan or you're a diehard Big 12 fan. You, they just haven't been on the national radar. I assume they love it that way. 63-17, to 17, they were one of our best bets yesterday. They blanked TCU. And it's just, it's, it's, it's a really good team. I don't know what else to say. It's a really good team right now. And they've got Oklahoma coming in there in a couple of weeks. I... It's a tall task. Let me put it that way. I'm not going to say I don't see anything happening. It's a tall task to be asked of Oklahoma, given how much they struggled against Baylor yesterday. Notre Dame's seemingly biggest remaining obstacle was a road game against Virginia. They won 28-3, and they are the proverbial shark fin in the playoff pool right now. They're just out there, and they're not in the top four, but they're out there. And then you say it again, but they're not in the top four. And then for a third time, you say, but they're out there. And that's all that needs to be said right now with two or three weeks to go. What about Arkansas? I was sitting next to an Arkansas fan on the plane last night on the way home. And about every five minutes it was, hey, we got an update on Arkansas? And it's like, well, we both have the same Wi-Fi. But you know what? Let me look it up. Oh, Arkansas wins 16 to 13. Big celebration. Sam Pittman's doing a great job, man. And it looked for all the world like this one was going to go sideways for them and it didn't and they pulled it out these games matter it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of the playoff conversation or the sec west but it matters so much you look back several years from now and this is not major league baseball it's college football and these games are worth one of 12 instead of one of 162 these things matter so much i don't care that it's a lame duck staff i mean that staff that's lame duck they pushed bama to the limit the week before and arkansas went into their building and got the win Congratulations to Arkansas. Also, Michigan State, they make sure they stay emphatically in that playoff conversation and set up a huge showdown with Ohio State Saturday. They beat Maryland 40-21. to And Oregon, late game last night, and it was the decider for what turned out to be a winning week again for us on the Ramen Noodle Express. 38-24, to one of the biggest games in the country this Saturday, is Oregon at Utah. We were 49% to go to that game. But Ohio State and Michigan State uh, barely won out on that one. Uh, there will be time. There will be time. And those are some of the other added takeaways. And I, I'm looking around. And yes, there was a dust cloud yesterday. I mean, there were some big games. There were some big teams that fell. I still don't think it's over. I still think there are some really, really big upsets somewhere down the road. And that road, you can see the finish line. You can see conference championship Saturday. It's just the air is so much thinner up here in November. It's so much thinner. So don't be shocked by anything. Now let's look ahead to week 12. Early best bets. Already put three of them out. If you're not following, as I just am about to tell you in the chat right now, there you go. Make sure you're following on Twitter and Instagram. These have already been released. Your, your winning or losing yesterday on Saturday determined or was determined by whether you got on games early enough. That's why it's so important to be following on those social channels. Here are our best bets so far this week. Notre Dame, minus 15 and a half. They are hosting Georgia Tech. Virginia, plus 12 and a half. They're on the road at Pitt. And Minnesota, minus six and a half. They're on the road at Indiana. Again, Minnesota, minus six and a half. UVA, plus 12 and a half. And Notre Dame, minus 15 and a half. Look, I met a lot of you yesterday. Uh, some of you right there on the sidelines, some of you in the crowd, uh, some of you in the airport. Met a lot of you yesterday. I always say this, but I don't ever want it to get old. That means the world to us. When we go on the road, because you've got to understand, a couple of years ago, this was a little tiny independent show in Columbus, Georgia. So it is still a very new concept that we have a bona fide national audience. So it's still somewhat uh, of a new thing. The novelty has not worn off 
of being recognized in major cities all across the country. So for all of us here, I'm the only voice you get to hear, uh, but I explained the we over I last week. For all of us here, we say thanks to you for making all this possible. Looking forward to another great week capped with a trip to Columbus, not Georgia, but Ohio this Saturday. Make sure you are subscribed to the YouTube channel. And of course, make sure you're leaving us five-star reviews on the Late Kick podcast. That extra podcast on Tuesday morning is going to be a lot of fun. I always highly, highly advise you to check out the podcast-only editions in addition to what we do here on YouTube. So thank you so much. Have a great start to your week. For Director Colin, for Producer Jesse, for our entire crew and family here, I'm Josh Pate. Have a great week, and God bless. Yes, Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.